Welcome to the Ride of My Life podcast. I'm Caroline Rena, and here, let the ride inside adventure begin. I will share what it's like on my own healing journey, and through what I learn and become aware of, provide insight to your journey as well. Hey everyone, welcome to the Ride of My Life podcast. I'm Caroline Rena, and today I have with me, and I'm very excited about it, Ms. Trisha K. Williams, and you're in Canada, correct? Yes, I am in Canada, and I'm excited to be here. Thanks. Awesome, awesome, and I'm going to just do a really quick bio about um, who you are and what you do, and um, I love the name of oh, so so Trisha is a counselor in Canada, but she has she's named her appropriately named her business Metamorphose Counseling, which is really cool because it is based off of a transitional process that um, is challenging yet rewarding, like a caterpillar in a chrysalis that is changing into a butterfly. And I love that concept because that's something that I've always connected with. I actually, all right, I'm going a little deep here. I have a tattoo right here of a butterfly coming out of a spiral. So I think it, so it's metamorphosing out of, out of me. And I think that's really cool. So I connected with that. I just wanted to share that. Um, so some of the things that, and, and Trish is going to go a little bit more into detail. I'm just going to give a basic information about um, your, your, you treat uh, trauma, anxiety, uh, transitional career and relational issues. And she's also an active community and social services professional and has worked as a residential youth worker. Uh, she loves, she's very passionate about the youth um, that are transitioning into adulthood and recognizes that, recognizes these challenges. And so she's also passionate about working with families, which is very similar to some of the work that I've done uh, within the parental alienation realm. I don't know how much you know about that. And I don't think we talked about it. I can't remember mm -hmm. uh, when we met, but she believes uh, that the family is a small unit that reflects the broader community and the city and the country and even the world. I mean, it starts, and then from my perspective, it starts with us as part of the family. So everything is relatable to everything else. We're all connected. And um, to be able to make a small change or impact on one family unit, on self, there's great potential for more significant transformation globally. And I think that's wonderful. Um, I'll let you get into the, like I noticed that you work in the Bowen family system. If you want to describe what that is, I don't know if that's the main thing that you do, but, but part of the conversation is going to be about what that, what that is anyway. So yeah. from here, we can kind of go into, um, you know, that type, the type of work that you do as well. So welcome, welcome, Trisha. I'm really excited for you to be here. And yeah. Yeah. So do you want to, um, how about we start off with a, a bigger, a better description, I guess, from your perspective, obviously, because you're the one doing it, of what you do, what kind of coaching um, or work that you are doing now? Yeah, sure. So you sort of touched on it a bit there. So glad that you were able to share bits and pieces of it. But elevator pitch is really, I love working with emerging adults, right? And a lot of times when people think about emerging adults, they're thinking about, oh, teenagers, 
Well, yes, we do have teenagers that are emerging, but that's not the only time in our lives where emergence happens, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I love to think about this idea of emerging adults as broader than just going through the teenage years, because we have to make decisions from time to time that help us to transition from one phase of our life into another phase of our life, right? So when I say emerging adults, think about your own life and think mm -hmm. about times when you've had to emerge from one space to another space, way of thinking to another way of thinking. And that's what I mean when I say I love working with emerging adults. So when you think about it, there are three main areas that I've identified that people tend to need to emerge, right? So the first area is sort of like life transitions. You know, this is sort of the, the, the phase of, yes, you're, this is a natural lifespan process that we all have to go through, right? So it, it begins with the teen years, if you want to think about it like that, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can even start as close as, you know, a parent having a child, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're moving from being inside of someone's, tummy to now being out into the world and needing to breathe on your own that's you know that's a emergence in and of itself right yeah. very philosophical emergence yeah. right um i don't deal with infants or children so i don't necessarily talk about that type of emergence right because it's right. it's complicated and it has its own field with lots of different research attached to it <laughs> right so i generally start with the emergence of getting into the adult stage and, and you know, becoming uh, independent and what does that even look like, right? And we find that lots of decisions need to be made there. You know, sometimes we find that there's grief, right? So you're, you lose pieces of yourself in order to become something new. So we, we deal with grief and loss you know, in multiple ways. So there could be, you know, career transitions as well, where you lose a job and you need to figure yourself out. Or you need to identify, you know, if you're a student, what do I want to do with my life? You know, meaning and purpose and needing to figure that out too. So there's a, another type of emergence that needs to happen with, you know, finding purpose and meaning in life and, and identifying how you're going to, you know, change this world or figure out a way to be in this world in an <laughs> economic way, yes. right? Yes. Um, and then we have relational transitions that are so wide, right? People want to get married or they're like, no, I don't want to get married, but I want a partner or no, I don't want a partner. I don't want just one. I want multiple partners. So mm -hmm. sort of like this idea of, you know, thinking about what is it that you want relationally? And a lot of times these decisions are based on past experiences yes. that have happened in life. We'll get to that piece, <laughs> right? Um, but when we talk about relational transitions, people want to have children or they don't want to have children. So these conversations are continuous, right? And a lot of times when people are in coupled relationships, issues come up that might challenge that coupled relationship. So we have couples that, you know, they got married when they were really young and things were going great and they went through stages in their relationship. And now they're at a point where their children are leaving empty nesters, it's another emergence, or you have to figure yourself out without the children being there. So if you really think about your whole life, you recognize that there are points in time when you have to face these transitional points and mm -hmm. figure out, you know, how am I going to emerge from this phase into the next phase? And that's sort of what we were talking about with the chrysalis, right? We go into sort of this cocoon if you call it right like, like the butterfly like the caterpillar and then how are you going to emerge from that chrysalis to become your best self so that's those are sort of the you know 
the things that I deal with and and what I in a nutshell do. Nice, <laughs> nice. Practice. That is that's awesome because that touches right on kind of where I it, it's interesting. Every I've done two interviews so far, mm-hmm. and each interview at the time that we were doing it was touching on what was going on with me in the moment. And it was very interesting how that worked out, which is really which is why I get excited about doing these because it seems to be a, appropriate at the moment and it's fun because it's because I get to soak this in as much as being able to share it with everybody else. And I'm going to go a little bit into what you were talking about, like the, I am in a life transition myself, and that's where it has touched. Uh, I am going out on my own for the first time, being guided by the universe, God, source, whatever you want to call it, you know, and sometimes we need help doing this stuff. Like when I was growing up personally, I didn't have that mentor or somebody there to guide me through these um, emergences, emergences, not emergencies. Um, (laughs) It became emergencies in my world at the time. (laughs) However, um, and you're right. There's a lot of grief that goes, goes along with this because you are letting go of somebody that you thought you were, that you were told you were, that, um, that, turn like for me it turned me into somebody that I had no idea and I for I I became codependent because I was so lost in that in in that process of each transition in my life and and I never really had guidance with it until I learned how to do it myself honestly and then I had some you know I worked with some therapists and counselors and um, coaches and different people to do that and so, but getting back to grief, because I, I do grief work as well, and it is so, so important. And most people don't want to go there because in, in, as a society, we've been taught not to touch on our emotions. And if we don't grieve, then we're stuck in there and we don't transition like we're supposed to. And I kind of want you to, if you could go into some information on that, how important grief work is in the transition as part of the transition, um, I'd like you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, no, for sure. And and while you were talking, these two concepts came to me. (laughs) It's almost like it was like saying, she's going to ask you this question. It's time to be prepared. So the two things that came to me is sort of this idea of letting go, right? Um, you know, and letting go can be really hard, mm-hmm. especially if you've known this part of yourself for so long, right? Like you've, you've gotten used to it. You figured out how to do life as this person or this, you know, the way that you've always been. Right. right? Even if it and doesn't some, work. Right. <laughs> right. Even if it doesn't work. Sometimes we can even admit that it's not working. Yeah. But we don't want to go there. Yeah, <laughs> we're so used to it, right? Right. So we hold on to pieces of it mm-hmm. because it's comfortable, yes. right? And you know, we know it, even though it's bad. Um, but then that process of letting go puts you into this uncomfortable space, and it's in that uncomfortable space that growth happens because you have to face yourself, right? And you have to face all the things that you weren't sure of. And that's <laughs> that anxiety goes up there, yes. right? Yes, 100% more. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and in, in counseling, we talk about this idea of, you know, 
the window of tolerance, right? The so win in the window of tolerance. That again, I missed that window of tolerance. Window of tolerance. Window of tolerance. Okay. Yes. So when we talk about the window of tolerance, this is sort of a space that, you know, you are comfortable, you know, when stresses come your way or when, when things come and hit up against you as a person, right? You're able to navigate some of these small stresses because your window of tolerance is very well defined. Yes. But when you're outside of your window of tolerance, the stress just sort of hits you like a ton of bricks. You know, it could wow. be traumatic things that are triggering for you. It could be, you know, uh, anxious things that you're really uncertain about. Fear could be, you know, making your window of tolerance expand and you're less like, no, I don't want to, you know, expand right now. Please leave me in my comfort zone. Right. 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 And it talks about these two areas that could happen. So you could either go into hypoarousal which is you could get very depressed or really sad, right? Mm -hmm. Or really down, sort of like this idea of freezing or, you know, sort of just not doing what you need to do to get where you need to get to, mm -hmm. right? So you mm -hmm. go into that downward spiral or, or phase. Um, and then the other one is hyper arousal, yep. <laughs> which is, we all know this one. This is the aggressive <laughs> one. This is where you're just like, Right. Life, leave me alone. And you're right. fighting at this right. point because you're just like, I don't want to deal with this right now. So right. Right. And can I clarify something though? Because I kind of talk about the hypo and or not in arousal, I do it in vigilance. Okay. Yeah. Because of trauma and the stress response and that type of thing. So mm -hmm. does this uh, also fall into the Fun I don't know if that's the right word, functionality of the stress response, the hypo or the hyper arousal. Is that part of the stress response? Definitely is part of the stress response. You're responding to those stimuli, right? right. That's coming right. from the outside environment and trying to, you know, basically expand that comfort zone. You're just like, no, I don't no. want this. Oh, right. These are two ways you respond. Right, right. Um, and that's the thing. When you recognize that you're not dealing with the stress, from this new phase that is trying to approach or encringe mm -hmm. on what it is you need to do. A lot of times, you know, we talk about self-care, right? We talk about things that you need to do that's going to help you to be able to navigate the expanding of your, you know, window of tolerance, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it taught, it's taught, it's taught a lot in, you know, dealing with trauma for sure. Because a mm -hmm. lot of times when you're dealing with trauma, sometimes you're not even aware you know, of some of the triggers that are coming your way. So this awareness and becoming more aware of triggers can help you to then make decisions within that period of time. Yes. And that awareness helps with the expanding of your window of tolerance, right? That letting go helps with your window of tolerance, right? Yes. Um, and also, I, and I love this, this last piece, you know, that forgiveness of self, right? You know, we, <laughs> a lot of times the letting go, you know, a lot of times we think, you know, let go of the things that people have done to us or situations or circumstances that are around us. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we don't recognize that. Sometimes the killer is inside us. Yes, yes. <laughs> a lot of times. I want to share real quick because I had, I was talking about that. I did, I did a podcast earlier today and just released it. And what I mentioned was about for forgiving myself. And what I also found was that um, being in that space of forgiveness also includes uh, 
I think Maya, and when you know Maya Angelou, uh, when you know, when you know more, um, what, is, what is that? There's a, there's a thing that she says, when you know better, do better. Ah, yes. She but sometimes we don't know better. Mm-hmm. And when we don't know better, we beat ourselves up for not knowing better. And then it's hard to get back into forgiving ourselves because it's this vicious, it's almost like a vicious cycle because we beat ourselves up because we didn't know that we didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And then we don't want to forgive ourselves. Yeah. So it took me personally a long time to get into that space of learning how to forgive myself because I would beat myself up. Mm-hmm. And then finally, as I started to learn that I really did not know, I was never taught something or I was never what is that when you're when your parents um not mirror but they uh show you how project. not project there's another word I oh, modeling modeling I always forget that word anyway so it's for me and for a lot of people that's not modeled it's not modeled to be able to understand and mistakes oh you know it's like don't make a mistake that's bad you know so you it's hard to forgive yourself and the more of this, this work that you do on yourself, the easier it becomes to forgive yourself because you're learning, you're more aware, like you're saying, you're more um, observant, you become the observer of your life rather than the reactor of your life. That's it right there. Yeah. The observer rather than the reactor. I love that. I might use it. (laughs) Yes. Oh, but then, you know, you talk, you talk about self-compassion and that's really what it is, right? This idea of recognizing that, you know what, I'm not perfect, like you just mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. and, you know, sort of that idea of going back in time and becoming aware of the things that you didn't, you weren't taught or that you just d- didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. So it's difficult for you to be, to know what to do now because yeah. you weren't aware of it mm-hmm. before. Yeah. So now you're becoming aware. So that idea of becoming is a part of, you know, that whole process. And so the giving yourself grace. Yes, yes. The self-compassion and just recognizing that you're human mm-hmm. and you, if you were never taught something, then you have to learn it or you're not going to know it. And sometimes we have to self-teach or, or, you know, understand, learn how, how these things work. And um, this is such a powerful, a powerful way of growth is this self-forgiveness. I really, I really think that this has been huge in my, you know, journey, even recently, you know, so um, yeah, I mean, was there, do you want to add anything to this? Because I really want to ask you the next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought of boundary setting and, and values, but you know, it, it's, it comes with its own territory. That's if you recognize that there are people encroaching on, you know, your values and your belief system and needing to figure yes. out how do I set those boundaries? And it's another sort of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And just real quick on boundaries. And this is something that I was made aware of over the last couple of days is like, sometimes we're setting our boundaries without even understanding where the other person is. Yep. And and we're like putting our hand up boundary and it's like, well, maybe that person isn't really, you, you didn't communicate something with them and you're putting up your boundaries without even having communicated. And they're coming from a totally different space because you never communicated with them. So boundaries, those things are tricky. But yeah, maybe we'll have another, maybe we'll do another uh, conversation at some other point on boundaries. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Yeah. So the I really want to know how you got into being a counselor and what your story is. All right. So my story. Okay. So being like totally honest. So I'm 
from Jamaica. I was born in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I have both my parents and two siblings. I'm the only girl and I'm smack in the middle, right? Loving family. Yeah. I grew up in a Christian home, but, you know, Christian home that was, you know, open and loving and really wanted to give you the opportunity to explore and share and research. So it wasn't very dogmatic or, you know, nice. ritualistic or religious. It was very much spiritual. Okay. So, you know, I was very accepting of the faith that was shared with me and I accepted it myself as I got older. So it was great. Um, what I will say is that circumstances, you know, made it that our family was breaking apart at one point, you know, um, and I blamed myself for that uh, breaking point in my family because I was raped. So I was raped at the 30, age of 13. Um, and, you know, that in and of itself is traumatic, <laughs> right? Um, the way that that experience happened was also very shameful as well, yeah. right? Because it was somebody that I trusted, somebody that I knew. And a lot of times, you know, we find in experiences of, of um, sexual trauma, a lot of times it's somebody the person knows and that's close mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? So, you know, I didn't want to tell my parents, like for years, actually, I didn't tell them. They didn't know that that was what happened. I lied to protect this person uh, because I didn't want them to face, you know, the mm -hmm. circumstances that I knew would be what would happen to them. Right. So I hid the truth. I didn't tell them about it till years later. Um, and then, you know, at, but at the time, when you think about it, I have this secret that I'm holding. I'm also blaming myself. Um, and what I did share with my parents, because what happened was I got pregnant from that incident. So I had to share something. Yeah. something happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I tell them, well, you know, this thing happened and now I'm pregnant. And the shame that comes with it is, you know, why did you do this sort of thing? Had multiple conversations, you know, sought help, all that stuff. Had to abort the child, not because they weren't saying you can't carry it, but because there were complications. I'm also 13, so yeah, <laughs> complications with the birth, with the with the child, and and where it was in my womb, so or uterus, so it had to be taken out because it wouldn't have been able to grow where it was planted. So issues with that piece of it. So I, I sort of grew up with my parents being, it's okay, we're going to rally together, we're going to work together, we're going to help you through this. So I was very much supported within my internal family system. Right. So I, I feel privileged in that scenario that I was supported through this difficult time, although they didn't know the whole truth. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so didn't feel, didn't feel shame from the family itself, but I was ashamed of myself because I was keeping this secret. Mm -hmm. um, and then you, you think about the wider community. So, you know, the wider community didn't have to know about this. So this is another piece of the puzzle where I, you know, was really angry with myself because I shared it with somebody that I trusted. And then they went and, you know, 
started to spread it within, again, a Christian community. (laughs) So when you think about shame and shame from a Christian community, it is crazy, Mm -hmm. right? I don't know if you know about religious circles, but that type of shame is shame I would not want anybody to experience. No, I totally, I get get it, not personal, well, personally, but not from growing up. So let's let's just say I understand. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, I was damned in a sense, right? Wasn't, you know, excommunicated or anything like that. But, you know, there were whispers when you walked by and you were got dirty looks and all the things yeah. that you could potentially get at that age. But again, not a lot of people knew the whole story because, you know, that's what happens with gossip. People never, never share what mm-hmm. the real story is. They only share what they want to share. Anyway, so the shame also came from the community that I was in at the time. Um, And what I would say is I carried that for years. Um, Through my teen years, I was very, you know, again, privileged to be in an educational system that was also Christian, but was supportive of people being able to not be perfect. You know, that idea that, you know, you're different and it's okay if you're different. Um, And there was sort of you know, this idea of people being able to grow and, and, and channel themselves. And it was also a space where people didn't know about that. So Mm -hmm. I felt safe within that educational space and also within my parental family unit. Um, So I was, I was very excited and happy to be able to grow up in that space um, where people didn't know about Mm -hmm. (laughs) that, that piece. Right. So But what ensued was, you know, self-worth issues, self-esteem issues. So even though I was told you're beautiful, don't worry about that thing that happened to you, you're going to be okay. It still pierces you from time to time, right? Mm -hmm. You have this, I had this idea actually that I would die alone. (laughs) That was my biggest fear. And there was also pieces of it where I felt like I would never have children because God would curse me (laughs) because I, you know, had to get rid of the first one that he gave me in Mm -hmm. a sense. Mm -hmm. This is a teenager thinking, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But over the years, as I grew, I didn't realize just how much it was impacting me. Mm -hmm. I would enter into relationships that were not the best choices. I would, you know, um, allow things to happen to me that was not the best, right? Because again, I didn't believe that I was anything good or worthy, right? So I allowed all the things that shouldn't happen to happen. Um, And then, you know, I... I, there was always a piece of me that wanted to help other people. Mm-hmm. I didn't want, you know, what happened to me to happen to other people. I, d- I didn't know what that was going to look like. I didn't know how I was going to do that. Um, before this incident happened, I wanted to be a pediatrician. I wanted, pe- wanted to be a doctor to help kids, yes. you know, but this thing hits you in your life and you're just like, I don't know if I can be a doctor <laughs> anymore because you're starting to doubt everything in life now. Because if yeah. this terrible thing could happen to me, then this terrible thing could happen to a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. And is this world even, you know, should I even be living in this world? Again, mm-hmm. is a thought that mm-hmm. came to me. So I was an avid reader and I would read a lot of books, um, autobiographies specifically. So I would escape into these, the worlds of these people 
and their lives as a way to escape from my own life, in a sense. Um, and what I didn't realize was reading these books was sort of planting seeds of hope <laughs> and faith in my life. Mm -hmm. And I recognized that these people, a lot of the times, just reading their stories, they would seek help whenever something wasn't, you know, going well. And I was like, okay, they saw it they went to this person or they went to that person or they went to this organization and they got help when they didn't know what to do or how to go about things right so my mom was a very much my confidant I would go to her and talk to her about stuff whenever you know things weren't going well mm -hmm. um and outside of my mom you know when I decided to go to university I decided I wanted to do biology because again I wanted to be a doctor but, you know, it didn't work out, right? The school that I applied to said, yeah, I can see that you have the biology, but the other, you know, science subjects, you don't really have them or they're not very strong. So we're going to put you in psychology instead. Are you okay with that? And I was just like, what is this psychology? Like, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> right? Um, but I was just like, you know what? I want to go to school. And this school says, you know, they'll accept me if I do psychology. So I was like, yes, let's do this. <laughs> Go to school. And for the first year, you have to take the psychology classes. And I said to myself, you know, I want to, I want to do the, the medicine. So I, I went in and I started to do some of the, you know, science courses. Still wasn't working out. For some reason, the, you know, it just, I don't know why it wasn't working out because I know I'm a smart cookie, you know, and I was doing really well in some of the classes. It's good when things don't work out, I've heard. But it just didn't work out, you know, and I was just like, what am I going to do? So existential crisis. And right. in this stage, I think I was in my chrysalis at this point mm -hmm. in life and I was freaking out. I was just like, I guess school is not for me then, you know, wanting to give up. Right. And then I remembered the books that I read, you know, these people didn't give up, they went and sought help. So I went and spoke to an advisor. And this is sort of my first time advocating for myself, in a sense. Right? And how old were you at this point? In university, I think I was probably like 20, 21, maybe. Oh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting space to be. Yes. <laughs> So I go to the advisor and I said to them, you know, I don't, I'm not doing very well in these classes. I want to, I wanted to switch from psychology into the life sciences and, you know, it doesn't seem to be going well and, you know, it's messing up my GPA. Mm -hmm. And they, they were honest with me. They said, you know, you're not very strong in these classes, but it looks like you're doing okay in the psychology courses. And I said, yeah, because they're not challenging enough. <laughs> That it was it was terrible. Sweet. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and then you know they were like they were taken aback and they were like, okay, I hear you, I see you, but you know sometimes you have to play to your strengths, right? right. And I said to myself, okay, fine, I will continue with the psychology courses and see where they where they take me. Um, so I did a summer because I had to do more courses to get rid of the, you know, the bad grades. So I did a summer and I decided to do two psychology courses. Um, and they were really interesting because it was one about motivation and the other one was about personality. Hmm. And, you know, it really piqued my interest. And I was just like, wow, you know, this is really interesting in the sense that 
a person's personality can impact the way that they see the world and the way that they approach the world. Um, and then motivation as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's a sound. Can you hear that? I'm not bothered by it. Okay, I just wanted to know. I mean, I kind of, but there's sounds everywhere. It's like <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, so, you know, went into these two courses, Motivation and Personality, and was blown away in a sense. You know, you could say mind blown because I, I, I only thought about helping people from the perspective of physical health, right? Um, and then I realized that I could be a person that could help somebody to change their perspective or to become more aware of something that is damaging to themselves. Um, I can learn about people and that sense of curiosity was peaked. Right. So I'm very curious and I like to learn and I like to, you know, help um, get people to the place where, you know, change can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and that piece of me was ignited, you yeah. know, that summer. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, OK, I could see, you um, know, how this could be something that could be not just not lucrative, but it was more like, you know, challenging. Right. For me, because it got the wheels turning in a different way so that's sort of how it started in a sense um, and then as I went through my courses and got to grad school where I did a master's in counseling psychology I had to face myself mm -hmm. right so leaving the undergraduate you know they always say that your resume is stronger if you get some experience so I wanted to get some experience and what where I found the experience was not a place I really intended to go so the experience I found was at a pregnancy care center and if you remember I was pregnant and aborted right um and I found myself a way of helping you guiding you through the healing process so yeah right, right. So I found myself in this space where I am the facilitator of a group of women, you know, who are pregnant or, you know, who have aborted at some point. And I'm helping them to heal from this trauma <laughs> that has happened to them. And I'm thinking to myself in my head, I need healing myself, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and I'm in this group and I'm, you know, going along co-facilitating uh and you know I brought and I think after the first meeting I spoke to the facilitator the main facilitator and I said to them this is also my experience and they said how long ago and I told them when and you know they held my hand and they're like okay I know you're co-facilitating this but I want you to treat this as if you're one of the attendees mm, and that's good I advice was like, <laughs> I was just I was just like I don't know. I don't know if I could do this because I might cry and I'm supposed to be like a facilitator. And they're like, that's okay. It's okay. You know? And I was like, and that was my first experience of this idea of it's okay to be a facilitator, but also to be a human being. And that's what I bring into my practice too. I tell people in the beginning, you know, I'm a human being. I'm here to help facilitate a process. But I recognize that, you know what, I'm a human being first and a facilitator second. So if you share something that is really saddening, I might shed a tear because it's just a sad situation. And yeah. it's okay, yeah. you know? Um, and and empathy though, I mean, for you to be placed in that situation so you can help them and then be able to heal yourself, mm -hmm. that's huge. That's more, that, that provides more healing for everyone involved than just someone who walks in off the street who has no idea what's going on with these people you know you can you can just get in there with them yep that's yep. powerful yeah 
Yes. And that's what I recognize. I recognize that power that you talked about, that opportunity to be able to hear someone's story, understand it because mm-hmm. I lived it mm-hmm. and then be able to help to, to provide the tools that I know will help them because it's helping me. Yes. Right. Yes. So we went through those whole process of grieving. Um, and at the end of it, there was this exercise where you were supposed to choose your method. And we actually went to a cemetery. We had mm-hmm. like a box, you know, that you had to add things to. And I had to give the child a name. Mm-hmm. So I had to humanize, humanize it, mm-hmm. you know, and then let go of it as mm-hmm. a way to, you know, move forward and heal. And that's something that I symbolize in that griefing process with clients. It doesn't have to be a box in a cemetery. You, you don't have to dig a hole and put it in there, you know, but how are, how can you memorialize the thing that you're losing, mm-hmm. you know, as a way to let go of it, to move mm-hmm. into this mm-hmm. new person or this new thing that you're going towards? May I share something? Because there's no accident then that we that we met either. Um, because when I was 18, I think, um, I was in college and I got pregnant and I ended up having to have an abortion because I was I was given a choice. I either got from my father, I was either allowed to stay in school or and get rid of the child or keep the child, and I would be totally I didn't have a similar family that you had, so I would have been pushed out of the family. So I think about 20 years later, maybe um, something similar to your description of what your process was. I was seeing a therapist and she said, you need to name the child to humanize it and you need to write it a letter, write them a letter. And I was like, absolutely 100% that this was a boy. And so I named him and I wrote the letter to him and it took once I, I I don't know if I still have the letter or not. I just felt like I needed to keep it uh, for a while. I probably still have it, but it made such a difference to be able to connect with that child and know for, and for many years, he was my, I named him Dylan Angelo. So Dylan is the ocean, which I had lived over the past seven years uh, near the beach, but I'm not here technically here anymore. I'm here for a couple more days, but anyway, regardless. And then Angelo, obviously angel. And so he's been, he watched over me for a long, long time until he didn't need to anymore, but it was so um, powerful to do that, mm-hmm. to, to connect first and then be able to release, to release, so you could grieve because you can't grieve something you can't even recognize or feel, yes. you know. And it was sad. It was very sad and painful. And I know what that feels like. And you know that's why I was like, when you started talking about being that person in that group with the same situation, the people with the same situation, I was like, "Uh uh-huh. So here are the tears coming. It makes perfect sense, you know? And it's, that's why I said, it's no, it's no accident that, that we met to do this. So I just had to bring that up because I I am uh, grateful that this is happening right now for, for both of us, you know, whatever that means, whatever it looks like, and maybe it'll help someone else who's gone through that too, you know, that it's, it's, it's healable. Um, and there are different ways of doing it. Just find that way to do it, you know, and, and don't isolate yourself because it, you're, the shame is worse than the healing. It's way worse than the healing process. 
So, okay. So continue. <laughs> yes. So, you know, went through that whole process. And like you said, it was very hard, mm-hmm. like you said, to do. Um, and I named my, my child too. And I named my child Joshua. I didn't put a last name. It was just Joshua. You know, and it just sort of symbolized that idea of, you know, the children of Israel going through the wilderness. And Joshua was the integral part of them being able to cross over so that even that idea of the journey and then the crossing over and you know the naming was what helped me to get to the other side yes so that's why I named the child Joshua and it's interesting right um having gone through that process so I went through that a number of times obviously while I was there for the time period that I was there and I didn't have to do it every time but just doing it over and over I recognized yes you can do it once and it's helpful but you know it's a practice I have like every January I write a letter or write a note Mm. to this child Mm. you know just saying how much I loved it or saying how much you know meant to me and you know the idea that I'm continuously forgiving and letting go of it and it gives me peace to continue on with my life as I as I do this right um and then I leave I leave I leave university and I have a gap year and you know I'm in this year and I'm just like okay I know what my life's purpose is now. (laughs) I know I'm here to help people with a mindset, help people through challenging situations, right? And and I need to find a school that's going to align with my belief systems and what it is that I want to do. It was very difficult to find a school that was like that because it's very competitive, right? Um, so I, I then was it was told about a school um, by another person that I was working with, uh, found Adler University in Vancouver and moved from Ontario to <laughs> BC to go to this school. And that move in and of itself, that emergence into this life where I'm living by myself is another part of my story. That's so important. I had to exercise faith. <laughs> <laughs> that I'd be able to sustain myself because I'm not from a financially, you know, a, a background that has money or anything like that. I had to source my own funding <laughs> and yep, all it, those things, <laughs> right? So <laughs> it was difficult. It was hard. And then going through this process in grad school where I'm learning the skills and the tools to help people who are, you know, going through these challenging situations and needing to face myself again, you know, with all the tough questions that, you know, you're going to be facilitating this process. But like counselors, you recognize that you have to show up for people. So you have to take care of yourself in order to show up for people. Thank you. It's consistent working on yourself every day. Yes, yes, I have to. Okay, I have to say something because for... for many years of my life when I was seeing therapists, there were a couple of them that did not do their own work and they could not empathize with me. And I felt disconnected from them. And it is so important that especially therapists, especially people who are doing this type of work, that they do their own work because they're not going to, they can't just walk in with a clipboard and expect to understand and empathize with somebody if they've never experienced what this person or something similar or something in their life, that they, or they're even willing to go and look at it. You know, I mean, that's, that's challenging to me. And, um, 
I am noticing now, though, the good news is that more and more therapists are doing the work. But when I was going through this from the time I was like, I don't know, four, five, six years old until, you know, 30 something there, maybe before that, maybe my 20s, there was a time when they weren't doing that. It was all very stoic and very disconnected and, and it was not good. So I'm glad you said that because it's so important for people to feel that connection with the person that, that they're, you know, being working with and learning from and experiencing and, you know, okay, I had to say my piece. Go ahead. No worries. No worries. <laughs> and I think this is where my trauma work started, you know, was in school. Cause yes, I, I had to acknowledge that what happened to me was not right. I had to acknowledge that, you know, I was raped, but, you know, I think up to this point, I'd never like spoken it to, to like people that I trusted or shared it. And it's within these groups, you know, at my school with, you know, these trusted other colleagues that I shared that story and was supported, you yes. know, from a counseling perspective. And I was just like, wow, mm -hmm. you know, there is sort of this idea of being able to let go of the chains of what trauma can can hold you, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if, you've, if you've ever gone through a traumatic experience, anybody listening to this, you know what that those chains are, you know, this thing holds on to you for dear life and anything that sort of comes to try to cut that chain, you know, it's, it's a fight, right? So I feel like I was being held captive in a sense, mm -hmm. uh, because I know this person was still out there. I know this person was probably doing this to other people, right? So those are the chains that were still Mm. That I was holding on to. And I think towards the last year of my university life and experience going through, you know, working on trauma and dealing with it, um, the person um, was killed. Um, and, you know, it was the first time I felt this sense of pain. Like I felt the pain, but I also felt relief in a sense because this person was no longer in existence in the world. Mm. And, you know, I was able to let go. It was like this, this thing was like, this weight was lifted off my shoulders and I was able to, you know, walk freely in the world now with a sense of confidence that, you know, the person who did this to me is no, can't, can't do this to anybody else or can't come and haunt me or, or hurt me in some way. And that letting go was so powerful to me. Um, it was at that point that I felt like I could walk into counseling rooms and do what I set out to do. I felt really empowered by that um, and owning those feelings too and recognizing it's okay to be saddened by their passing because they're a person, mm -hmm. but also, you know, to feel relief because, you know, of what I went through as well. Mm -hmm. So those are the sort of healing pieces that I went through and that helped me to now be a counselor as well. Yes, yes. And and interestingly enough, that process though, it was your child that felt that relief, right? It wasn't you as the adult that feels the relief. It's the child. It's like I feel I feel safe now because as children, that's what we want is safety. And if we've never felt that before, especially in such a you know um, major trauma like rape, um, it, you, you're not going to feel safe. And if that person is still out there, you're not going to feel safe ever. You're always going to be in, like I mentioned, hypervigilance earlier. That's a big aspect of that, you know, and I get that. And I see how, um, you know, when the, the relief from 
the child's perspective inside of us. And then we get to integrate with that child and that child gives us that empowerment because the child was the one taking that away from us because it was so afraid and so, you know, um, traumatized, you know, whatever. So we never had that within ourselves until it became an opportunity to do that. So that's really powerful too, mm-hmm. that, that that was able to occur. I like that story. That's a good one. That's, thank you for sharing that. Yes. So yeah, I, I, you know, I chose not to focus on trauma itself. I chose to focus on, again, the process of healing and the process that we go through in order to get that change or that liberation. And yes, trauma, trauma work is a part of it. um, But it's not the the first thing, you know, it's important to be able to get to the meat of the, the situation or, you know, what's really happened to you as, right. as, you know, just looking at what's on the surface. Right. So going deeper is, is really important um, to getting to that transitional process and, and getting yes. through. And that actually is a good segue <laughs> to the next piece. So whether, I mean, we have a little bit of time to try to try to do this, but here's the thing. It's interesting because initially I wanted to do work with people with trauma and the fact that you said that and, and, and how that, how that worked. And then for me, it became, I want to do the work on myself with the trauma and see different types of things that uh, like my, my, my trip to West Virginia was part of that process. And I was doing a couple of different things. One, I only did it once was EMDR and it was a different type of EMDR than I was used to because it's very boxed in, you know, the way a lot of therapists who do EMDR, they have to have it, do it a certain way. And I have a friend of mine who is, um, who does healing work, but he incorporates different types of things together. So he did some EMDR with me Mm -hmm. and that helped to relieve the anger, some of the anger pieces of it initially. But then he did this really cool thing. And I want to see what, what yours is going to be. I'm just sharing it because it was about me getting out of the trauma because I was so, my my nervous system was so shot that any type, like logically I could figure out what was going on around me, but my body was like, I can't. And then I'd start pacing and then I'd start, you know, I couldn't run. I couldn't flee. I couldn't, you know, I, I, I couldn't even freeze at that point. I was just like all over the place trying to figure out because my nervous system. So it ended up where I started researching on myself, how the body reacts to trauma and how like not always talk therapy doesn't always work for a body reaction. Probably that's probably very limited, at least from my perspective. Right. And so when I did some work with him, it was it involved um, and I'm going to share this later on at some point because it's I don't have like a set way of explaining it, but it involves kinesiology. It involves bilateral stimulation, which is basically, you know, tapping on on, you know, both sides of your body. And there's different ways of doing it. People do it a bunch of different ways. It's all based off of the brain and how the body is opposite and the, you know, the left side of the body operates the right side, all that stuff. And then at the same time, the kinesiology, the bilateral stimulation, and then repeating what he calls a personal narrative. I call them that, I call them belief systems, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But by repeating that personal narrative, so my personal narrative at that time, the last one I did before I left was, um, I, hang on a second, 
was it? Find it because I I keep all my notes. I oh I have to suffer in order to um, get my needs met. That's what it was. I have to suffer in order to get my needs met. Interesting and, core belief. Mm -hmm. ah. <laughs> but when I did that process, it broke through that. So the kinesiology piece of that, and I don't know how much you know about or worked with kinesiology. Um, I've done somatic uh, psychotherapy, so it's body work, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's 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 similar to what you're talking about, but not not with the bilateral stimulation and not with the EMDR. So I don't do use EMDR, but somatic uh, psychotherapy is the idea of bringing the body into the healing process. Right, and then the kinesiology, the piece of that is the body actually tells us the truth about what's going on. We could say something, but the body is like, ah, 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 ah. you know, so like, for example, this is one of the ways we, he was teaching me to do it is um, holding your finger like this, and this would be a yes, and then like, my name is Caroline, yes, or it's daylight out, yes. It's nighttime, no, or my name is Trisha, no. Right. So my body is telling the truth. I could sit here and say, my name is Trisha all day long and it's not true. <laughs> right. And we know yeah. that, but I'm going to believe that it is right. Even though it's not. So that's where the, the narrative came from. And then in doing the process, you're, you're saying the words, it's like, um, I have to suffer to get my needs met. And at the same time, you're like pushing, I can't, you're pushing on your the biggest muscle of your body. And as you're doing it, you're testing yourself. And at, at within like 10 minutes, it just, I, I retested myself again. And it was like, I have to suffer in order to get my needs met. No, you know, so my body's telling me the truth. That's my body saying that. And, and I was like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense to me because my body's not going to lie. The body doesn't lie. Our minds will lie to us, but the body's don't, the body doesn't. So I want to use that phrasing, right? Because I know we're going into that segment where we're, you know, going to use some sort of technique or something yeah. like that. And yeah. I'm thinking of possibly an early, early recollection, right? So it's, a, it's an Adlerian technique. Okay. Uh, and basically, it's sort of tapping into early experiences and, you know, trying to connect something that's happening in your present and connecting it to possibilities of what could have happened to you in the past. Right. right. So, so what again, we're going to do, I'm going to say, present, future. <laughs> here we are all in one right here. Um, what we're going to do to the, I'd like to just explain to the audience. So in, when I do these interviews, I, I ask each person to find something of the pro, one process that they do, a simple process or whatever that they can do on me. So you can see how they work with somebody in live, live and in person TV. And, um, and then I get to share after it's over with um, what it felt like to me. So I've had a couple of those happen already and they were very, very effective and they were very helpful. And um, I got a good experience from, from both of them and I'm sure I will here as well. Um, but I'm going in this blind. I have no idea what's about to happen. So we didn't, she didn't tell me what we were going to do. I just said, pick a process and here we are. So, um, so you just tell me what I need to, to let you know, and then we'll do the process and then I'll just share what it, what it, um, now, well, is this something that is immediate? Like I'll have an immediate, uh, Oh, um, no. So it's a little bit of a process, sort of like what, you know, my whole thing's about. Yeah. Um, and it will hit you. 
you know, whatever it is that's going to come to you in your awareness, it will hit you and you're going to be like, ah, that's what was supposed if it, to happen. If it doesn't hit me in the moment, that's the reason I asked that question, because if it doesn't hit me right away after, after the process is done, then I will keep, because sometimes it takes a little bit of time for uh, some, for a process to work, to work its way through the mind and the body. So if it doesn't come out now, I will share it when I post the video or usually for me, it happens within like three to four days. It just it is able to integrate and then I can figure out what it is. But hopefully, maybe it will work now. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> All right. But I agree with you. Sometimes things don't hit right away and you will, you know, you think about it later or it comes to you later. Like, so oh, there's not a aha moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So this is what we're going to do, right? It's not going to, I don't want you to like think too hard about this, right? So we were talking yeah. about this core belief that you had about the idea that you need to suffer in order to, what was the last bit there? I need to suffer in order to meet my needs. In order to meet your needs. Okay. So we're going to do an early recollection and I want you to think as far back as you can, you know, when this suffering idea became something that was important to you the idea that you had to suffer in order for your needs to be met and earliest recollection that you can think of okay so now this is the one i used when i had the work done on me before and it's just something that need that stays in my that stayed in my system for a long time but basically it's um it's pre-verbal and the information was in that I read was in court paperwork, court documents from when my parents got divorced. So I found out about it from the court documents. But of course, that story was implanted into my head. And so I believed it. So I think so it's there anyway. The story is there. Um, and I doesn't surprise me that it would have happened. But the day that I was born, uh, my mother was at the time I was born in Germany in, a, in an Air Force in <clears throat> in the 97 General Hospital, which was an old German Air Force hospital. And it was an army base, our army base, the U.S. at the time. And she was a Red Cross volunteer for that hospital where I was born. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand. And um, so the day that I was born or maybe sometime in that time frame, mm -hmm. she left my bedside, left me alone and this is all energy. This is all pre-verbal. This is something that's felt by a, a, a baby that can be felt by the baby, especially that early on. She left my side and she went out to take care of the other patients in the hospital because that's what she was always good at taking care of everyone else. And this is something I've learned recently too, beside not herself and certainly not me yeah. because I don't know what that disconnect was, but it started then. So that became... When it all came together for me, that became that suffering for a baby. My, my mother just left me and I can't get my needs met. And that's what, and it's just that feeling. It's an energy of it. It's not a memory of it. Yes. So, and little by little, as I got older, similar things would happen. Like people would turn their back on me and I never, and, and it never felt like I could get my needs met. I see. From that, like love and comfort, nurturing, that type of thing. I see. And I'm hearing abandonment in that. Yes. Yep. Right? I'm hearing that piece of the suffering you had to go through as to be abandoned and your needs don't get met. Um, so I'm wondering, what is it that you had to do for mom to come to your bedside? Or when you can recall 
where there were things that you had to do in order for your needs to be met? Well, my mother was also uh, traumatized. She was a second generation Holocaust survivor. So she had her own trauma to deal with. So, and I lived with it when, as I grew up, um, by the time I was four, I was living with my grandparents and my dad. So I only visited my mother. So I never felt like I could connect with her to get my needs met from her. And when I tried, it didn't work anyway. So I stopped. Um, so I really more or less gave up. I was the, I was the child that gave up on trying to get my needs met and just getting the cookie crumbs I see. So that I was given. Yeah. Okay. Settled for what you could get or the idea of what, whatever life threw at you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So we have this story of you being an infant right? Um, not, and your needs are not being met. And, and again, we can go into the attachment theory here <laughs> very much. So. I know all about that attachment theory. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, you yeah. know, and it's sort of like there is this sense of your emotional needs are not being met, your physical needs are not being met, um, and you're abandoned in this situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, in what areas of your life today do you feel this sense of abandonment and the idea that your needs are not being met? Well, re relationships, of course, because I ended up becoming codependent to, that's what I did to get my needs met. I became codependent thinking that I would be loved and taken care of and, you know, whatever, and that backfires. Um, and financially, being able to meet my own needs instead of having someone else meet my needs for me there um, with the work and uh, not really with health because I've always been kind of that's that's my high point <laughs> so but the other the other ones obviously you know relationships this job business making uh, finances that type of thing yeah Okay, so you connect yourself with people who you think are going to be able to give you your needs, but it's more people that are giving you sort of the dregs, you know, those little pieces that you talked about in the beginning where you just aligned yourself with just the small bits of what you could get. You recognize that you carry that over into relationships that mm -hmm. you, you know, then went into. Okay. At what point did you realize, or have you come to this realization that the bits are not enough? Oh, wow. Um, well, near the end of every single relationship that I was in, I recognized that. And then I flipped, my energy flipped and I rec and I started uh, changing things, but they didn't like it. And I kind of wrote, I wrote about that today in my blog and talked about it in that too. <laughs> Um, but they didn't like it. And it's like, and most of the people that I was with were narcissistic. So, it, you know, narcissists and codependents kind of <laughs> draw, draw to each other. And so it was every single time I got in a relationship thinking it was going to be a certain way. I was going to get my needs met. They were, you know, whatever. And then when I recognized it, I, I switched it. And then I got, I, I got more empowered after each relationship. Um, and, and started to see what was happening after each relationship. So I would say, I mean, more fully would have been in the last 
six months, three months, something like that. I mean, like I'm fully aware of what I, what my behavior was and all of that stuff and how, how that fit in, how that, how that um, belief fit into those relationships with the codependency and, and all that. I see. So I think what I'm hearing there is you're on your own, your journey right now mm -hmm. um, of that realization and that sense of awareness that, you know, what was, what I've been given of what I've allowed myself to have yes. is not enough. Yeah. Um, are you aware of what you need or what you should have? Yeah. At this point, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm also fully aware of how I sabotaged myself too in the past and then became fully aware of the fact that, um, of what I need, what I don't want at this point, what I choose not to attract and to choose not to be codependent myself. So I don't attract that anymore because obviously that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So I have one last question for you. Okay. If you were to share something with that infant, what would you tell her from this place of being more aware now, right? What would you tell that infant? You are loved by me. You are cared for by me. I will always be here for you. This one's challenging. Mm -hmm. You are perfect as you are. You've got this. And I will never turn my back on you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's the early recollection experience. Yeah. I could see that that was hard for you. It was tough. Right. I mean, it's not as hard as it used to be, but I can still, when I get like tears just in my eyes, when I'm not like crying, what I see it as is a soul, is like a soul connection. It's like my soul recognized that I recognize something. Yeah. And that's very powerful for me to see that. So that question has never been asked to me before in the way you did it. So that's why it was like a little, different like what would I say to my infant like for example I'm going to write that down so I don't forget it but um normally what happened in the past was that I would like which was also very cool but I never spoke it was I would take a pillow and I would hold like a, a, a couch pillow or whatever and I would hold the pillow and just as me, as the infant, and I've done this work with my clients before, is very powerful and just holding it. But I've never done it where I would say, well, what would you say to her? What would you say to him? You know, what, what, would, what do you think that he or she would want to hear from you? And that's even, wow, okay. <laughs> hey, thanks. Oh, wow. Helped you along that connecting journey, right? Yeah. I think that, that pillow exercise is helping you to connect with that infant and, you know, helping that infant to feel a sense of care and love, but then to say that you love and care for them. And then yeah. that last bit when you said, I'm not going to leave you. Yeah. You know, 
you're taking, you know, you're becoming an active agent now mm-hmm. in that story of showing up for yourself. Taking notes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's, and that's why I love doing, doing this kind of thing with, with people, with you, because it's like, it changes. Like I'm not deep, deep, deep in trauma anymore. So it's a little bit different than it used to be, but still it's like, there's this piece of us that, that misses who we are deep down inside. And even, even being able to connect in small ways to that part of us, especially if we've been traumatized, especially if we've gone through something like you've gone through, like many people have gone through, you know, like I've gone through and, and having that, that's the biggest thing that for me that I appreciate is that when I was growing up, I did not have that person there for me, that mentor, that person who would take me by the hand and and say, everything's okay, you know, and I think that's what's missing for some people and why they have such a hard time uh, about walking through the trauma because they really never had anybody there. I mean, there's pieces of it. That was the other thing. There's pieces like how we're set up, how our brains are set up, you know, but if there's no unconditional positive regard and there's no mentorship or no love in your, whatever, where do you go? You don't trust anybody, you mm-hmm. know, and how do you learn how to trust yourself and be able to do this kind of work? I mean, that's a question I want, I want, I'd like for you to answer that. How do you, how do you experience as someone who has been traumatized, who never had that support system? How do you do that? How do you help them? Yeah, no, it's, it's challenging. Cause again, I can't pull from my own resources cause I was supported. I did have some right. support. Right. Um, but I think what individuals who haven't had support, you know, it's sort of that building up your inner reservoir, right. And building up that inner sense of self, um, and helping you to become your best advocate in a sense, um, yeah. because you don't necessarily have the trust of others yet. Um, and it's important to, to build up that inner self and be able to advocate and show up for yourself first. Um, and then by being able to show up for yourself and you gain that sense of trust with yourself, then align yourself with one or two trusted others. And it will take time re- reminding yourself that it takes time to build that trust and being compassionate with yourself, you know, and sometimes with other people if they you disappoint you or yeah. if you know, something yeah. happens that is doesn't necessarily go along with what you would have wanted yeah. right yep but being you know again self-compassionate and recognizing that we're not perfect and things happen so it's not an easy process it's yeah. not and i want to share that for you know for those of you because the question popped into my head so i'm sure it will pop into yours um like how do i do that you know and for me finding that self-compassion I've been doing this work for 30 years, you know, and you've got people out there like Trisha, like myself, like people who do this type of work, who've done the work on themselves, who understand what it feels like, who can support you and be there for you and work with you. And for me, finding that self-compassion was just constant. I mean, literally I went through, I did self-temper tantrums so I could get the anger out before I could even find the compassion for myself because I was like boiling inside and I was like, Ugh! and I couldn't, I could never get rid of that. And so I found different ways of, of releasing, release, 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 release. That was the first step that I took 
to get to find who what the truth of who I am inside. And we're all the same. We're all about love. Our love yeah. is inside of us. Sorry, I need to plug my computer in. And so basically in order to find that compassion, you have to release the, whatever is in there that's been holding on with a death grip to you. Um, from the trauma, the fear, the shame, like Trisha was talking about. I mean, that's toxic shame. That's their shame and guilt are there to help us not to do things again. Toxic shame, that's when we turn in on ourselves. And that's what we get to um, decide at some point that we've had enough, that we don't want to be that, be in that space anymore. And then just to start to be gentle and loving towards ourselves, even we, even when we act like a idiot sometimes when we're trying to do stuff and we don't get it right, you know, and that's happened before too. So getting through that piece of it by doing the releasing and allowing yourself to get angry. And the first time I was ever allowed, I held anger inside. The first time I ever was allowed to get angry, I was with my second husband and he was, he put a bat in my hand pointed to a tire and said, now hit the tire. And I went, yes. and he's like, no, that's not what I need. <laughs> he's like, hit the tire. And I'm like, it took me 20 minutes to get, he started saying things to me about whatever was going on at the time for, to get me angry enough to hit the tire. 20 minutes it took me to do that. That's how deep, deep, deep that anger can get. Yeah. And well, you're right. I, you're right. Completely. Yeah. Say, say that again. I was saying I completely agree with you. Oh, yeah. Anger can be buried under so many things. You know, it's so hard to, to come out. I've sometimes I've had to tell clients, it's okay. You can go into the woods and just scream. Yeah. It, it's oh, totally no, that okay. before too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like rage against the machine. I'm sitting in the car, turn the radio up. Ah! You know, so, but that's part of the release process. And it is okay. You're not going to, no one's going to, it's your body. It's your life. Do it for you. You're not doing it for somebody else. This is all for you. And you don't need to give a hoot about what somebody else thinks about how you're releasing or not, or what you look like. If you need to do it in the privacy of your own home or something, or in your car where nobody's watching, do it because it helps. And then you start doing things a little bit differently. And it doesn't help everybody, but it helps. Some people have different ways. So yeah. I have a little workbook that I wanted to share with you. It's it's not my workbook, but okay. I've found that it's been helpful to a lot of people. Okay. So um, uh, Kristen Neff um, wrote this book and, you know, she did a lot of research on it too with Christopher Germer. And it's the self-compassion, um, the mindful self-compassion workbook. And it's very much about, you know, the idea of accepting yourself building that inner strength that I talked about, mm -hmm. and then living the life that you want, that thriving peace, right? Yeah. Um, and Kristen, you know, it talks about that humanizing your experience and the experience of others. Mm -hmm. So it's so important to humanize the experience, because if you don't humanize it, it's easy for you to judge somebody else, or even to judge yourself, right? The second thing that the book talks about is let mindfulness. Let me hear something, because that's, mindfulness is a big thing. So let me just say something, because hum, humanness or humanizing people, that's why social media is so toxic, because we can say whatever we want to somebody on social media because we are not in front of their face or looking in their eyes. Mm -hmm. And if you were in front of somebody's face and you saw 
the humanness about that person, you probably would think twice about what you were doing because you don't know what that person's gone through. You don't know what they're thinking. You don't know any of that kind of thing. And I've worked in a, um, a martial arts studio and we had mostly boys there. And whenever they got mad at each other, I made them stand in front of each other and look at each other. And I'm like, okay, what do you see in his eyes? Well, you look sad. What do you see in his eyes? You look sad too. And I'm like, <laughs> so y'all are sad. You're not mad. And just, you know, so say you're sorry or whatever, and then let's, let's go on. And they did. And they loved it when I did that. They, and they, they, they got to the point where I did it so often they got used to it. They'd roll their eyes. They're like, all right, we're coming. <laughs> yeah. But you're teaching them that opportunity to yeah. be able to say, you know what? Yes, I'm upset, but why am I upset? I'm upset because of the sadness that I feel. Yes. Right. And getting to the heart of you know, not just reacting with yes. the first emotion that comes, right? Yes, yes. And that was powerful. So anyway, I'm sorry, go into the mindfulness piece. This is good. I love mindfulness. No worries. So yeah, the second component of the three circles yeah. that Kristen Neff talks about is mindfulness, right? So recognizing and being aware, like I was talking about earlier, being aware of your triggers, being aware of where things are coming from, and that stepping into mindfulness practice is not easy you know, but, you know, take the time. If you take the time to practice, mm -hmm. it really can be helpful for you. You know, I, there are three different ways you can do this mindfulness. You can create an atmosphere in your space where if you find that you are irritable or you find that you're feeling something in your body that's really uncomfortable it's just sort of your body's way of telling you something's going on mm -hmm. right yeah. so you can start with what's going on in your body and create this space that can give you an opportunity to find out what's really happening so become more aware of what's happening and, and that's really what mindfulness is about that intention you know, to be aware uh, mm -hmm. and to figure out what's going on in your present, in the present moment, mm -hmm. right? Um, so you can sit in a quiet space. You know, I like to light a candle because I like the scent and I like to just watch the flickering yes, of the candle, good. right? Mm -hmm. And it really puts you in this quiet space where you are reflecting, mm -hmm. you know, on whatever it is that took place. And you say to yourself, whether it's acknowledging that you made a mistake or it's recognizing that somebody did something that was unjust to you and you're upset about it. And you also get the opportunity to identify what's really important to you, you know, within that time, because you took a moment to just be quiet <laughs> and in that space, yep. right? Yeah, there's also this idea of silence and solitude that really helps with you being able to just knock off or cut off, you know, all the distractions in life. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're in this quiet space, you have to, you know, you have to face yourself. <laughs> you have to face yourself. Face. You can't hide, yeah. right? Um, and this facing of yourself gives you the opportunity then to look in, look within and practice this forgiveness that I've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Practice this idea that, you know what, I'm not perfect. Um, they're not perfect. You know, how can I get through this? Mm -hmm. right? And it's okay. It's okay that you're not perfect. You're perfect, but you're not perfect. <laughs> you're perfect. perfect and perfect. perfectionism. So you <laughs> no, I hear that. I hear that for sure. 
you know, and then the third component is self-kindness. Mm. So the self-kindness, again, is you're practicing this, whether it's you're saying positive affirmations or positive statements to yourself, but you're doing something that is you're being kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So you're identifying and recognizing humanity and making the experience human and not perfect you know, you're practicing mindfulness and recognizing that, you know what, I can be in this present moment, I can reflect on what happened and place blame where it needs to be placed or identify what is important to me, Mm -hmm. right? And then the last thing is self-kindness, doing something that is going to take care of you, something that's going to be positive for you. Um, So that could be gratitude, right? It could be um, going into that bath, and just sitting and, and, and relaxing, releasing, letting go of things that don't serve you, right? So those three three quadrants are, you know, the important pieces of the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. Um, you can find it on Amazon if <laughs> you want to go get it, but it's it's really cool process for sure. And I was also going to add another tool too, because you reminded me, I took a class uh uh, I don't even remember a couple of years ago, a few years ago, it's called um, MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Mm-hmm. And you can take this free course um, on hallucemindfulness.com. And I'll, I'll put that information in, um, in the, uh, both the book. Maybe I'll put the link to the Amazon thing in the, in the page on YouTube um, and for the book and for this. I'll put the link in there. And um, yeah, but I mean, when I, when I did that, it, it taught me so much about even, even eating. We don't even eat mindfully. We don't, ah, yes. we just inhale. I mean, everything, especially in, in the world, the way it is now, it's like, everything's about, you know, and there's no mindfulness whatsoever. And yeah, so I'm glad you brought that, that piece of it up because that's very helpful to the healing processes become that's becoming the observer that's helping you to become the observers by being mindful so that's that's yeah so that's really powerful um okay so i've got we're coming to a close here so i want you to you can speak what your what the way is for people to get in touch with you and then i want you to share with me what it is so i can post it in the in the youtube and um and I think that that'll that'll be it. So go ahead and let everybody know how they can get in touch with you. And oh, by the way, do you do online Zoom work with people. You can do it outside of Canada. Well, right? I do virtual counseling um, and I do have coaching opportunities that I can do with people outside of Canada. So the coaching piece is, I think, what would be most important. Yes. All right. So I am a registered clinical counselor. You can find me on social media. You can also find me at my website. So my website is metacounseling.com, M-E-T-A-C-O-U-N-S-E-L-L-I-N-G, Um, You can also find me on Instagram at metacounseling underscore. Um, I'm also on Facebook. If you were to find, you know, Metamorphose Counseling on Facebook, 
I am also there. So you'll find my page on Facebook there too. I post often. Um, I also have a YouTube channel called Meta Transitions. Uh, so if you search for the YouTube channel, um, you'll find the content that I have there. Um, and I share stories. You know, I interview people and they share their stories of transition um, with the audience. So hopefully you can get a kick out of that too. Um, so I definitely offer counseling services in Canada um, and coaching services outside of Canada. So if you want to work on your life transition, contact me. Perfect. Yay. Yeah. And know that the transitions are all meant to be there. They're not something that's thrown at us. They're, they're, that's part of growth. That's part of life. We are meant to go through transition at different points of life. So it's, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It sometimes it doesn't feel good, but it's still not a bad thing. Um, and is there anything else you'd like to share before we sign off here? <laughs> no, I just want to say thank you so much for yeah. having me. Absolutely. And this process was amazing. Just so you know, this opportunity to feel witnessed as well and for my story to be shared. So I really appreciate you creating a safe space for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's my intent. <laughs> so I'm glad that I'm glad that worked out. And um, for the rest of everyone, thank you so much for being here and uh, listening to this great conversation with Trisha and her share, her vulnerability, her beauty, her, um, I mean, I, 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 I don't know, I, I felt that energy from her when I first uh, found her on Instagram, I think it was Instagram, and I just, I just had to reach out to her. So I hope you guys get a lot out of this and reach out to to Trisha, if you have any questions about what she's doing, if you have any questions for me about, you know, if you want to be a, a, a um, person I interview, I can't even think of what to say anymore, okay. <laughs> an interviewee on this podcast, then you can reach out to me as well, because I'd love to do it on my travels. And um, I think that should be it. So like I sign off normally, wherever you are in this moment in the world, have a wonderful moment. And um, thank you for being here on the Ride of My Life podcast. And take care. Take care. Bye. <laughs>